Good morning, friends. It is so good to be with you today. Of all the places that uh, we could be, I am incredibly grateful uh, that we are here. Uh, just, a, uh, just a brief update on uh, Pastor Paul. I was able to just to get with him and, uh, in person just for a few minutes this week, and uh, he just wanted to um, extend uh, theirs and their family's gratitude uh, to all of you uh, for encouraging them, for the outpouring of love and support, and uh, just for your prayer. And uh, it's been uh, nothing but uh, miraculous what God has done um, in his life, and uh, he continues to uh, get better, uh, little by little, he said, every day. So many of you are asking, well, when's he going to come back? Which I interpret to mean, when, when does Eric stop preaching and Paul is back? Um, so I just want you to know that. But I am, I'm okay with that. So uh, I, I don't know exactly. Um, my best guess is uh, he may, may be back um, in person in the next couple of weeks. My best guess is um, as far as preaching on Sunday mornings, it might be a month or two. So we, we just don't know exactly, but God's continuing to heal um, his lungs and give him more breath. Uh, it is still a little difficult uh, for him to just to breathe and have long conversations. Um, although, um, it was, was it Monday? Um, I think he was still in, in the hospital, and he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to need a stool to preach from on Sunday. <laughs> like, yeah, no. <laughs> So, but uh, he is uh, eager to be back. I'm sure he's with us now online as well as the family, and uh, they're, they're grateful uh, for your prayers. Let's continue to pray that God would heal him and uh, that he be back and his family back with us in person soon. So last week we began um, a series called Illuminate with the passion and desire that we as God's people would share the gospel more this year than we ever have, that we would understand um, and just take into everything that we are that God has called us into this great commission, that He has called us all to go and to make disciples. For far too long, the church, particularly in America, has sat idly by and just attended services on a Sunday morning and not taken this commission seriously. And as we look at this idea of making disciples, for us here at New Life, we believe that to be much more of a pathway than it is a destination. It starts by knowing God, by um, someone committing their life to Him through the hearing of His Word and the responding to His Word and seeking forgiveness from sin in their lives and choosing to pursue Him. And we know that that doesn't just happen in a vacuum, that growth starts by getting involved in community that God has called us to be His church, to be His body, to be together. God's called us to be together and to be one, and He wants us to be in community with other people, to live life with one another. But we need more than just that community as part of our discipleship process and pathway. We need to really develop spiritual disciplines. Much like if, if we were um, working out to lose weight or to compete um, in some sort of competition, we would be disciplined in how we work out, whether it be in how we run or in how we lift weights, how we eat, all of those things. We're to be disciplined. So this discipleship pathway has these spiritual disciplines built in for us that we all need uh, to be able to grow. And when those things are happening, the next natural component, which we believe is where God is really focusing us this year, is that the world begins to change because we have dared to share the gospel with those around us. And not only is it where we think God has called us to focus, we also believe it is where we have the most opportunity uh, to grow as his people here at New Life. 
and we are challenging you. We're challenging us to take this seriously like we never have before and that we would be God's people and share the gospel wherever we go. So last week, uh, we uh, looked at a passage and where there was the blind uh, beggar who was healed, and he didn't know much about uh, who had healed him or who this Jesus was. He didn't know um, anything about um, theology. Um, he just knew that this Jesus had healed him, and he was blind, and now he could see. And, and Jesus told him to go, and he simply shared his story. And we were challenged last week to just share our stories of what God has done in our lives. You don't have to know all of the answers to share your story. Just share it. And we sent home with many of you here in person, or we emailed it out to the church, um, kind of a help to write out your testimony, to write out your story. So I'm just curious, just for a way of accountability for us all, how many of us actually started writing that out this week? Awesome. (laughs) Ryan's like, where's my life group? Raise your hands. If you didn't, I'm coming to your house later. <laughs> um, keep doing that. If you haven't started this week, so it, it, hear me, it wasn't just a sermon last week to here's a nice challenge for us. This is, this is really what we're doing. So take the time. Start working on it. Start writing it out, typing it out. If you need help with that, um, say the word. There's people in your life group. We as a staff or elder team would love nothing more. Um, than to help you with this, because this is what God's doing um, in us this year. Today, we're going to take it a little bit, I'm going to take a step further than just sharing your story. Um, my challenge this week won't be just to tell your simple story, but to add Scripture to it and share the hope of the gospel. So before we open God's Word, would you pray with me? God, we're grateful today to have the privilege to, to sit here together to open your word, to be encouraged uh, by one another, to have these friendships, to have the written scriptures, whether it be um, in in digital form or in print form, but God, that we have them. God, may you remove all distractions from our hearts and minds today, all of the things that we have struggled with this week or even this morning, even possibly on our way here. God, that we might simply hear your voice. Challenge us, change us, transform us for your name and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, um, turn to Acts chapter 26. We're going to read um, another um, story of what um, God is doing in Paul's life. And, but to understand it a little bit better, there's, there's quite a bit of a backstory. Of course, you know that Paul, uh, the apostle, um, not... Paul the pastor, but Paul the apostle, um, he was one who persecuted uh, people of the way or Christians in the early days. He would um, sanction or even possibly be the one that killed them. He would travel around um, so that he might stop the spread of this news that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. This was his job. He was incredibly zealous in it. But there was this moment uh, at Paul's conversion that God determined um, that Paul would be his instrument to the Gentiles. Gentiles are simply people who aren't Jews. And that he would testify before kings. When Ananias told him uh, to go to him, we see um, in Acts chapter 9, he says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine 
to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. The Jews hated Paul, particularly the Pharisees and Sadducees, the ruling parties of the Jewish culture in those days, because he would testify about Jesus. So they had him arrested. He went to trial. He wasn't convicted. And in Paul's own words, he was on trial for this. He says in Acts 23, he says, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. They wanted to murder him. They wanted him dead for the things that he was saying. And he, in those moments where he was on trial, simply defended himself without complaining, without whining, without begging or pleading, simply stating that there's no reason for him to be on trial except for this, for his uh, testimony of the hope and resurrection of the dead. So when he said these things, the, the council there in those moments, um, they began uh, to fight amongst themselves. They didn't, they didn't like exactly what he was saying, and, and they didn't quite agree even on what they believed, and they began to fight um, one another. So they, they sent Paul um, away and locked him up. So in that night, God shows up to Paul, and, and he tells him this. He says, "'Take courage. You have testified about me in Jerusalem.'" you will also testify about me in Rome. Think about that for a minute. What courage and hope that that might bring, that here are these people who want you dead, and now you've been arrested, you've been on trial, and they still want you dead. And he's, he's not testifying in Rome in this moment, but God shows up to him that night and says, hey, you're, you're going to testify in Rome. Oh, all right. So I'm not dying tomorrow. This is good news. But the next day, um, the Jews make a plot to ambush and kill Paul while he's on his way back to the council. His nephew hears about it, reports it to Paul, and Paul reports it to the centurion that's guarding him. And the centurion um, has the nephew take it to the tribune, the next guy in charge uh, of the Roman um, guard there that was guarding him. And the tribune is like, nope, not on my watch. Because if Paul was to be killed under their supervision, um, guess who also dies? Those that are guarding him. So he's like, nah, you're not going to kill him on my watch. Um, so he orders 200 centurions to escort Paul to Rome. Now, I don't know how tough you might think you are, but 200 centurions against 40 Jewish religious guys probably not going to work out too good for the Jewish religious guys. So this show of force that even this tribune has with these 200 centurions, and for Paul um, to, to hear about this thing, not only did they want to kill me yesterday, now they've made a plot to kill me, and God told me, oh, you're going to testify in Rome. Okay, there's still this plot to kill me. Now he's being guarded by 200 centurions. What a ridiculous encouragement. And not only that, he doesn't even have to walk anymore. They give him a horse to ride on. He's a prisoner. Not too many prisoners get horses to ride on. So then eventually he, he writes a letter to the governor, Felix, stating that the story, or stating the story and saying that, in fact, um, they really accused him of nothing other than just some religious dispute. Paul understood what was going on. He goes on, and then he's ordered to be protected by a Roman guard, and um, his accusers 
come five days later to finally have this trial uh, with the governor. And there with the governor, Felix, he again offers his defense, and he states that it's with respect to the resurrection of the dead that he's on trial. He makes known this resurrection of the dead. Not much happened there, and he was left in prison for two years. Imagine this moment where God has told you that you're going to testify in Rome. People are trying to kill you. You know that you've not been accused of anything except for some religious dispute. And now you're in jail for the next two years. You're a prisoner for two uh, more years. And it's interesting, during that time, uh, we don't get any record of Paul complaining or whining about it that many of us might do, Uh, but we see that Felix is actually summoning Paul um, many times so that he might actually talk to Paul. And Paul begins to to share his faith um, regularly, apparently, uh, with Felix, the governor in Rome. So Felix um, is now succeeded um, by Festus, and the Jews try to get Festus to kill him. They're still, years later, trying to get Paul killed because he is still testifying to the resurrection of the dead. So Festus asks Paul um, if he wants another trial. Paul says, no thanks, Um, I'm appealing to Caesar. So some days later, Paul gets his hearing before King Agrippa, and Festus lays out that Paul has done nothing wrong and should not be on trial. So now he has um, one of the governors even testifying before the king that he hasn't even done anything wrong. Still a prisoner. Uh, Now we get to um, chapter 26 of the book of Acts. We're going to start in verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. I just want to encourage you that when, when God wants you to speak, He's going to give you an opportunity to speak. So here in this moment, the king actually said, okay, you can now talk, Paul. For us, we don't have to force it. We don't have to to beat people down to tell them about Jesus. God is big enough to open those doors for us. And we should pray for them that God would open those doors and open our eyes. And here, King Agrippa says, okay, Paul, you now have permission to speak. And for us, when we give those, get those opportunities, we should open our mouths and we should speak. Because remember, God had already told him to take courage because you're my guy that's going to testify in Rome. Here he is, years later, testifying in Rome. I'm pretty sure Paul knew that and remembered that moment. In verse 2, he says, I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all of the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all of the customs and controversies of the Jews. And therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. As Paul begins his story, he hints just a little bit that, hey, just be patient with me, king. I'm going to share for just a few minutes here, just to be patient. He goes on in verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. 
they have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So Paul clearly acknowledges that King Agrippa is familiar with Jewish beliefs, with probably the Scriptures um, and with customs that are going on in the Jewish culture of that day. And he, he begins to couch the rest of his story in light of what the Scriptures have already said. He points out that he's one of them, that he is a Jew. Not only is he a Jew, he's of the Pharisees, of the strictest of the strict, of the most knowledgeable of the knowledgeable. He is from among them. And the thing that he is being accused of is actually the thing that they've all, or at least they all say, that they've been hoping for for centuries, the resurrection of the dead. He goes on in verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In fact, he says, not only was I just one of the Pharisees, I was the guy doing all of this zealous, dirty work. I was the guy that was sent to abuse them, persecute them, and to kill them. And not just like here in Jerusalem, but this was my traveling day job. (laughs) I went from city to city to seek these people out, to find them, to bring them out, to make them blaspheme or turn against God in a public fashion, and if not, it was my job to end them, and I did it. He said, I was the one doing all of their dirty work just because um, they stood up for Jesus of Nazareth. He goes on in verse 12, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. He, he, he takes a transition here from explaining who he was in his background just a little bit to now he goes back to telling his story. He says, on, on the way, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice. And I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I mean, just imagine this. He's on his way to Damascus, and he gets knocked off of um, what I think is his donkey, and he has this bright light that blinds him and others that are with him. And out of this bright light, a voice begins to speak to you. I mean, put, put yourself there for a minute. 
And, and maybe you're not traveling down the road on a, on a donkey or a horse or anything, but maybe, maybe you're traveling on, um, I don't know, Route 70 <laughs> on, your, on your way to work or on your, your way out of town, and there, um, bright light blinds you and all those who are with you, and you hear a voice out of this brightness begin to speaking to you and asking you, why are you persecuting me? Huh. Would, I mean... It's kind of a wet-your-pants moment, right? And, and there he was and asking, well, who are you? And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. In verse 16, Jesus goes on to say, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen uh, me and, I'm sorry, appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I'll appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul is testifying to these things in Rome. If we were to get up today and to testify to the same type of story in a court of law, we're probably going to be laughed at. That this bright light knocked me down blinded me, and out of this bright, blinding light, a voice spoke, and not only was it just a voice, it was the voice of God. And beyond that, He doesn't kill me. He gives me a purpose, and He sends me to tell others about Him. I mean, it's a huge moment in all of history. And, and Paul's job Uh, was simply to share it. He was told to rise, to stand on your feet, and here's why I have appointed you. So that you as a servant and witness to tell people that I'm alive. What's God's role in this? To show Paul who to witness to, and he does. To deliver Paul in these moments and to send him. And God's job is to open people's eyes from darkness to light, from Satan to God, so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among God's elect. I mean, imagine that God gives you this same mission. He tells you, not, you're, not, you're not persecuting me anymore. I'm, I'm going to reveal myself to you so that you, your forever, your eternity might be changed so that you might really know me. And by the way, I'm giving you the mission to go and tell the world about who I am. I mean, imagine he gave that mission to you, to us. Well, he did. And he does. This is our mission. It is the same as Paul's. And it is huge. He did not create us Um, just to be Americans. He did not create us just to be whatever it is that your occupation is. 
He didn't create you just to be a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa. He didn't create you just to be somebody's kid. He created you and sent you and he rescues you to send you to share the gospel with a world who lives in darkness. And we established last week, the darkness of our world is becoming more and more evident to us as the blinders are being pulled back and we see how dark the world we live in actually is. Jesus is the light of the world, we learned last week. And more than that, um, he has told us um, as he's leaving that you, as his disciples, are the light of the world. And we should shine in a way, illuminate in such a way that everyone in the house sees. He goes on in verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all of the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple, and they tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both the people, to our people, and to the Gentiles. Paul tells him in his defense that he was simply being obedient to the very thing that God told him to do in that moment. He was a witness to all those that God put in front of him, telling them that they should repent and they should turn to God. This, by the way, is the same message Jesus has for us today, to repent and to turn to God. And he said, I'm, I'm only saying what the Scriptures have already said. The Scriptures that we all adhere to, these people that are persecuting me, that want me dead, these are the Scriptures that we all agree to. And these are the ones that we say that we believe. And the Scriptures say that the Christ must suffer, the Messiah must suffer, He must rise from the dead, and that He would proclaim light to both Jews and Gentiles. And for this, this is why they want to kill me. Because I'm simply teaching, sharing what our Scriptures have already said. And Paul clearly lays out the Gospel in front of all of them. There as he is testifying in Rome as God said he would. And it goes on, verse 24. Now as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except 
for these chains. So there as he is sharing what God clearly told him, what the Scriptures clearly say. What's the response? Are you crazy? You're out of your mind. You've been studying so much, you're just making stuff up. You're a nut job, Paul. And Festus was clear. He did not believe him. And Paul knows that he's challenging the status quo in Judaism in that day. He's no longer willing to accept that that's all that there is and that this is all that God has for us. And what happens? He's accused of being a crazy zealot. And Paul says, nope, what I'm saying is true. And King Agrippa, you know it to be true. He doesn't have to get nasty with them. He doesn't have to argue with them. He just simply has to say what the Scriptures have already said. And whether short or long, Paul says, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul desperately wanted anyone who had ears to hear, anyone that God was opening their ears in that moment, that they would hear. That they would hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 30. The king arose, and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So we end this part of the story, and there's a few lessons for us from Paul's testimony. The first is that we're to simply testify about what Jesus has already done and said. Jesus has never asked us to come up with like a really compelling story. He's never asked us to come up uh, with any um, fictional, like better sounding version of Scripture. He hasn't, nor would he. He has simply called us to testify to what he has already said and done. And, and that by nature, by the way, people might think you're crazy. Really? You, you believe that this guy Jesus, like, he was God? Like, with a body? And like, he never sinned? Like, he never did anything wrong ever? Even when he was four? Like, I know some four-year-olds. Really? You, you believe this Jesus guy really did nothing wrong ever? And that he didn't do anything wrong to deserve to be killed on a cross? And then, like, he was dead? And three days later, he came back to life? That, that, that's what you want me to believe? That's what the Scriptures say. And Paul, although incredibly um, intelligent, incredibly well-read, he simply testified about what Jesus had already done and what Jesus had already said. It's our job to testify. It's God's job to open people's eyes. 
So don't feel the need to argue with somebody. It's not your job to like convince people that Jesus really is who He said He was. It's not your job to play the Holy Spirit in people's lives and somehow convict them of sin. It's our job to simply testify. And if the Apostle Paul can do that, and that was his job, we, we, we shouldn't need to take on some other job. And as crazy as the Gospel might sound, this is what he's called us to do. And when we do, God chooses to open people's eyes so that they might see. And by the way, it is likely that we're still going to be persecuted for sharing such a message. People might say, yep, you are crazy. You believe that? You've committed your whole life to that end? Yep, you're crazy. You, you should be locked up. In fact, one day you might be locked up for such things. It might actually happen. For Paul, he was locked up. <laughs> and he's already going on two years here. And as we read the, the rest of the book of Acts, we realize that he continues to be a prisoner. He continues to be locked up because he had done something wrong, because he had murdered somebody, because he had stolen property from anyone. Nope. What did Paul do? He testified to the hope of the resurrection. That's all he did. That's all he did. Friends, it's enough. And persecution um, might come. So what do we do with all of this? I want us to know that God has brought the gospel to you and to me. Not so that it would stop there, but he has brought the gospel to you and to me so that it might go to somebody else. He has called us to be his witnesses throughout all of the world. That's what he's called us to do. There's a world outside of these doors and, and maybe even hearts and lives here in this room that live in great darkness. That if their lives were to end today, their lives would forever be in darkness and in torment in a real place called hell. And Jesus didn't call us to save them. That's His job. But He did call us to testify. Not to make up stuff, but to simply share what Jesus has already said and what He has already done. So, first thing, know that God has brought the gospel to you so it might go to somebody else. This is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's our responsibility that the gospel might go to somebody else through us. And the second thing, um, I want us to be the kind of people to ask God to open eyes and doors for us to share the gospel. That we would actually be people regularly, daily praying, each and every morning waking up and saying, God, would you open someone's eyes open up their ears that they might hear, and God, that you would open my eyes so that I might see those opportunities that you are laying in front of me to share the good news about the hope of the resurrection, that I might share what Jesus has already said and what he's already done. Friends, this is our challenge. It is to become a church maybe like we've never been before and that we would take this gospel mission incredibly seriously. This is what God has called us to do.
So God, as we opened your word today, and we've been challenged by this story of the Apostle Paul, God, he is a man just like us. And in fact, God, he has probably done things much worse than most of us here in this room. But God, that you used him, that you opened his eyes so that he could see And God, that you've given him a mission to share the gospel wherever he goes. God, may we see that gospel mission today in our lives. And God, may you open people's eyes so they might see the light of the world. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.